Welcome to season five of the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In this season, we're exploring relational spirituality, which is rooted in immediate engagement with God. It is a relational mystical spirituality, encouraging people to enter deeply into living and loving in relation to their own self, others, the cosmos, and God. In seeking to establish a relational spirituality on the foundation of our value for intimacy with God, we're teasing out the difference between our relationship to the practice of the faith and to the pursuit of relationship with God. In this episode, we tease out the difference between the relationship that we have to our theology, meaning to our faith and to the idea of God, and the relationship that we have to God as a person. Sure, Steve, it's been uh, it's been quite a run for us this uh, this end of year for both you and I in terms of busyness. Sure. Yeah. I, I've had my my all the tiles in my flat basically crack from the building expansion and there not being enough uh, space. So I was actually here when it happened. It was like a bit like an like an earthquake under my feet. <laughs> I, I was looking someone in the eye and it just said something profound. <laughs> Literally standing in my kitchen <laughs> when it happened. <laughs> That's quite disconcerting when you're in a building and you're not quite sure what's going on. But what it's uh, what, what that upheaval resulted in was close on two months of false starts of moving out. I think it was five times out and back in for them to get the floors going, not being able to get it going. And then eventually a whole month of actually just being out. So I'm still playing recovery and catch up, two months of displacement and then a month of couch surfing. But you've also been busy. Yeah, they've also been just, how can I describe it? Just kind of numerous challenges sort of personally for me and within family and stuff and which has just led to my capacity very quickly and very sharply just kind of going down to almost zero and so unfortunately what that meant was I basically let go of absolutely almost everything that was kind of happening all the balls I was juggling and just had to really refine in and focus in on just family and just kind of getting through a couple of very, very tough weeks that turned into a few more weeks um, and just some sort of family changes on this side. And I'd started some work, which is a very short-term kind of in-between thing, which has also been quite stressful uh, amongst some of the the greater story, which, you know, we won't, we won't try and tell now because it takes a long time to tell just in terms of my family's uh, ongoing sort of the move where we we've moved to the Netherlands and settling, et cetera, et cetera. It hasn't all been sunshine and roses. And the last, uh, let's say six weeks have been uh, significantly pressurized. And so that's meant that, um, well, you and I have had to just kind of drop recording for a short while, which has been Sure, a number of things, some mixed emotions. It's been unfortunate. It's been difficult. It's been very, very sad for me. I know that we couldn't, um, that we haven't been able to connect regularly and to continue our conversations. It's been somewhat guilt-ridden. I think I'm aware as well of you know, kind of <laughs> the weekly turnover and putting something out there in terms of our conversations, and that stopped abruptly. And so there's a number of just emotions that kind of also want to say coagulate together conflate <laughs> i totally resonate on all of those <laughs> you know for me it's it's also been the challenge and you know like like to not you know this is very much a uh, 
a conversational journey, especially this season. Well, in fact, all the seasons have been a good conversational journey that we really do together. So mm. it's, uh, I don't think this really works with uh, pressing, pressing on alone. I've also been in the position where I've been looking for other work because I've got to make more money. And then, uh, you know, having started my PhD as well. But the good news is um, after three months, <laughs> I have a, I've approved research proposal, which is, uh, you know, it's a couple of months shorter Fantastic. than other people, which is, which is, which is great. We'll do a future episode uh, just um, exploring some of that as well, because mm. that will set some of our direction moving forward uh, in future, I think, in a good way. A big bonus to it is it's human readable. So <laughs> I'm going to send a copy across to you. And I think it'll give us some good room to engage for, for our planning and our thinking. Well, I, I look forward, you know, as I, I often will think towards the future with things like this. I look forward to uh, to the day in which that uh, that becomes a book and the book becomes books. And, uh, you know, I'm still quite, for some unknown reason, if I have to be very brutally honest, for some unknown reason, I'm still quite hopeful around the future and this uh, this direction we've been on and the kind of the research and the digging and the analysis and the continual conversation and the refinement around what we're looking at and what we're hoping to achieve. And some of that is is clear and happening and some of that that emerges as we keep walking forward step by step. And so, yes, you know, Hopeful for the day uh, that we can say, yes, the, the first book is out based on the PhD or spin-off or, you know, as a, as, a, as a collaboration between the two of us or whatever it might be. So that's very exciting. I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that again. It's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that too. And I think, I think um, you know, we'll, we'll do an upcoming episode on, on next year and the things that we're putting on the table and looking at getting extra funding. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's just from my side. I've I've been guilt ridden, like just with upheaval in life and not getting podcast episodes out, and wondering what to do, and feeling like I'm unfairly pressuring you. And then you know, we we had a few starts where stops and starts where one or I think the last time I just didn't have the energy. You know, you had the time, and I was just like, I actually just can't keep my eyes open. I can't function. You know, so <laughs> yeah, you're right. We've had a couple of those from both sides. Just um and I know somewhere in the last two weeks I said yes, 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 let's go for it. And on the evening just said I just I can't anymore. It's been a 16 hour day already or whatever it would be. <laughs> yeah. So but I'm glad that we are that we're in it tonight. And uh we're putting out a fresh episode and yeah it's yeah, from, uh, from, from my it's side it's, it's, it's 10 to 11 year at night so it's quiet <laughs> <laughs> yes and all the cows are also asleep on my side in the, in the dairy <laughs> so that's also good and hopefully no tractors so it's also quiet for now so uh let's have at it <laughs> we're, we're kind of um midway between exploring the experience stuff just by way of recalibrating just to take a step back and you had some great ideas for what to chew through tonight so i'm gonna i'm gonna totally throw it over to you and say steve have at it man <laughs> awesome i've been thinking so many things that's the crazy thing of of having had time out from our conversations and it's not like my brain stops running in in a million at a million miles a minute and in different directions it's just the uh, the outlet and the collaboration has not been there. 
but I've been kind of thinking back through some of our trajectory through this season, some of the, the angles that we've tackled already. And one of what I thought was a lot more obvious and then started to take a more nuanced shape over time was the idea of, of kind of a tension between theology and relationship. And I think it's distinctive from, you know, when we talk about the Bible or when we talk even perhaps about, you know, church and its function and perhaps even to an extent kind of each church's dogma. But what I was starting to think about essentially was, let me break it down this way. If if I think about, and, and we've discovered it, we've talked about it from this framework quite a few times, if we relate things to just a human-to-human relationship, the tension for me between the theology and the relational side of spirituality, you know, so we're, we're talking about God, who God is, what do we know of God, what is there that could be known of God from the theology perspective, but the relational spirituality has more to do with the recognition of the person and the actual experience of that person. So the human-to-human framework says to me, there are things that I can know about another human being. There can even be some consensus thoughts that can be shared by a number of people or a group of people or even a group of like-minded people about this person. There can be some public broadcast knowledge, perhaps. Um, There could even be books written about this person. But the difference between information around an individual and me relating to the individual and discovering that information, but at a relationally experiential level, is very different because if I, I'm trying to just go very, very carefully because I think this is, sometimes when I try to put this, lay it out in my mind, this is where I get tripped up. To know things about a person is very different than to experience that person. Even if the things you've been told line up with what you experience, if you're only going off kind of, shared, published, general knowledge, whatever information about a person, the relationship that you have is still with a concept. If the person embodies that exact information in relating to you, then that's, I guess, to an extent coincidental. I'll park that and come back to it, hopefully. It's the embodiment for me that really matters. So You know, I think of one of my favorite actors of all time, comedian as well, Robin Williams. And I remember remember the day that I heard the news that he died, and I felt quite impacted. And I thought, sure, that's, I feel personally quite sad as if I've lost somebody that I know. And that sadness was, was very real. And there were a number of reasons for that sadness. The first was 
the more things that kind of emerged over his life, the more I felt resonance with somebody who seemed to have had it very rough at times, who battled with depression. And there was resonance between some of my story and his story. But there was also somebody that I had, and I've got inverted commas here, had gotten to know through their work. I, and, and I love stand-up comedy, and I love comedians especially who are actors, and I, and I really enjoy very good actors. And I watch them very, very carefully, and I try to decipher you know, how much of this act, how much of this character is the actual person, how much are they putting on. And I thought, sure, I, I really got to know this person through their movies which is one aspect, and then through their stand-up comedy, which is often closer, I think, to the actual individual than when they're playing a character in, let's say, a movie. But then the more I kind of journeyed with it, I realized, but I'm not grieving the loss of a known entity from a relational perspective. I'm actually just grieving the concept loss. There's resonance between what I understood of this person and their life, the impact they had conceptually on me. It wasn't relationally through their work and their influence in that way. And that's a big difference. Even though I felt it keenly and I felt a connection, that's very different to being able to describe the times that I would go and visit that person at their home or actual or have reciprocal conversation, for example, or be able to ask them for their help and have them respond, or offer my help and have them accept it, or be able to pitch up at their home at two o'clock in the morning, uh, or whatever, go on holiday together, whatever it might be, where you where you where you build cumulative experience with this other person, but in a reciprocal, collaborative, you know, relational way. That is very, very different, and that's wound up in the concept. And so I, you cannot say that you know a person as a person if you know them only in concept. And that, for me, is kind of the, is the theology relationship tension because there's a lot said about God. There's a lot spoken about God. There's a lot explained about God, especially if you really dig into kind of the difference between preaching and teaching. People will go to great lengths to explain who God is. And you can actually have huge amounts of information in terms of who God is. But I still, and I think we've seen this from time to time, sometimes more often than not, when you push the relational button, there is a a paucity, there's a lack there in terms of, oh, okay, I, I can't speak all that richly at a relational experiential level. And that really fascinated me. And I thought that's worth digging into a little bit more in terms of what we're pushing for, because I think that's, now just very quickly to sort of sum up that at surface level, that's often an argument I'm given in response. But, you know, but we know who God is. We know God's character. We know God's attributes. We know God's names. We know, like, well, congratulations, I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you all about Bill Clinton. What does that mean from a relational paradigm? I can't tell you what it's like to hug this other person. I can't tell you what it's like, what it feels when they turn to me and use my name and comfort me or confront me 
or tease me or share a meal with me or you know that's very very different to just attributes character and as i say coincidentally you know they might be the same or they might not and to an extent i propose that that doesn't actually matter if those line up coincidentally because i think the real energy is located the real spark is located in the relational back and forth and so if you experience in the relational what you've been given at the conceptual it's almost immaterial because it doesn't matter i think until you actually experience the personhood that's a like that's my start and i think we just could kick that around a little bit and and take it a bit further and i've got some other thoughts but let me pause there for a second and kick it back at you. By way of a quick summary, and then to throw something on there, if I if I if I if I can, really is it, it sounds to me there like you're talking about a relationship with a public person that you have through media about them and through their work, their publicly available work. So yes, you're engaging them. Their personality, their personhood, their career is on show and is available for you to to get to know about them. And, and I think that that is a good parallel. The relationship to a public figure is often like the relationship to God. We, we get to hear a lot about God. There's a lot of reports, Bible, stuff from the pulpits, ideas out in society. But you're very correct in highlighting that there's a difference between knowing about a person and relating to that concept and relating to them in a reciprocal manner, like one-on-one. There's there's a degree to which we can have a relationship with an idea of God then that is not a relationship with God. And that's fundamentally, I think, that what we're poking at, what we've been poking at through the season. And the way we go about experiencing God you know, for instance, in the way we covered things about, you know, the Alpha Course and that kind of stuff, can be seen to actually then get in the way, that experiencing God can get in the way of what we do. So to some extent, these, the media and the medium is an interface that that can really sell us the idea and stand as proxy, which is why institutionalism is so powerful and doing church is so powerful is that is that it becomes an interface where where and, and i think we've also seen this and this is one of the things that i actually want to tease out in my research is we've seen this as people wrestle with an idea where we on the podcast for instance have had guests and we ask them about their personal experience and they'll tell us things like no we we know how to have a relationship with god it's through the bible it's through you know connect community of elders that emerges over time all great things to say, but that's not the meat and bones of what the reciprocal relational engagement is like. And then they'll tell the story about an encounter with God that they had in the privacy of their home or a car park, and, you know, um, you know, any number of other ways because it's 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 peculiar to the individual. But there's a piercing of the veil there. There's a piercing of the veil of faith there. Actually, there's a piercing of the of the, of the medium. That becomes the message, that becomes the proxy for a relationship with God. And I think that only happens in the face-to-face. And there I'm I'm 100 percent with you. And and so when you say 
that even if the image that you have is correct, it doesn't matter if you're not actually engaging the person. And to some extent, one's got to let go of those ideas and replace that with the relationship. And that's what makes this conversation, this journey that we've been exploring actually so hard, is trying to get to the meat and bones of unraveling that for ourselves and with others. And you know, I, I like how you I like how you position what you're saying. So there's one thing I just want to put my finger on there. You so you talk about a this kind of a directional orientation there in one of your statements, which I think is good, but I think works both ways, right? In that um the things that we believe about a person can determine those are often conditional in terms of how we interact with the person. And the other side, which you said, is sometimes the actual interactions with the person can threaten kind of the system or the concept that's been built in terms of how that person is. You know, I think you, I've experienced this before. You have a number of people will say, that person's just unfriendly. They're just cynical and negative and they have nothing good to add in this world. And you and you think, oh, that's really heavy. And suddenly you're surprised. You have a conversation with the person and you discover that perhaps some of those things are true. But sometimes you discover, oh, this person is in pain. Or, oh, this person is under, misunderstood. Well, this person has been perhaps deliberately mischaracterized or whatever. And so you're surprised. And that shakes the foundations of the concept you've been given. And that I find so fascinating about this because it runs both ways. Is I can go to the personhood of God and say, no, 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 no. Stop that. You're not supposed to act like that. All these people keep telling me that this is how you are. Therefore, this cannot be a genuine interaction because you are not, you know, you're not, you're not dancing to the tune of the institution or whoever, you know, is speaking on their behalf. An example that I saw is, is, is again, the other day, someone, I saw someone post on Facebook and I, I interacted with their post and didn't, didn't get a response. <laughs> but, but again, they put forward the, this, the statement that human beings are always going to let you down, but Jesus is never going to let you down. And I responded to go, actually, I've not experienced that to be the case. I have experienced disappointment in it. I have experienced them let me down. And you know what? We need to start normalizing that and accepting that. Because, because that statement um, put out there is, is one where an idea that can't disappoint you is an idea that can't disappoint you. But a person that that isn't bound to that idea, that may or may not engage you, can lead to disappointment. Whether they disappoint you or the ideas that you have that you bring to the relationship leave you fundamentally unfulfilled or disappointed, and you know, um, there's any number of ways in which that can go wrong. But to to basically go, there's a person that can never disappoint you, a person that you don't have immediate access to, that you don't get to engage just on the basis of what you want, that's got boundaries in terms of how and when they show up, there's, there's got to be some form of disappointment. 
for that relationship to be real because there's no relationship where we won't experience that because some of the ways in which we can expect someone to be there for us could be unhealthy and it could override their boundaries. So again, there I find that interacting with faith statements or interacting with faith statements about God, Jesus, the spirits, you know, at least within the the, the Christian tradition that we have, you know, people from other traditions have got similar faith statements in terms of their God concepts that they're also not allowed to admit that there's some kind of disappointment or anything like that. It becomes problematic because you end up in the same way that you can have a skewed idea of someone that leads to a high level, like a great disconnect between who they are as a person and what we believe about them. It's it's often the case when, you know, that's why rumors, that's why gossip ends up being such a, such a thing, is people tell stories about people and people say things about people that they won't say to people. And then you end up with a high degree of disconnect or you end up with your opinion shifting of the person. And then when you're trying to relate to that person, they struggle to relate to you. They don't know what shifts, they don't know why the grounds of the interaction has changed. And I think in many ways, our religious faith statements are very non-relational because they don't allow for reciprocity. These, these all good statements about God, these all good statements about the relationship, these all, it's almost like fantasizing a relationship putting it in the box of, of this relationship's going to fulfill you. And then when we start poking it or when people start realizing that there's a difference between their relationship with their God idea and their experience of God, then it becomes a very difficult process or a very difficult conversation for them because do they trust the experience and enter into it or do they pull away from that to maximize their theology and their relationship with the idea? Well, it's conditional reciprocity, isn't it? God is only allowed to be good to you. God is only allowed to, whatever the whatever those statements are, fulfill your dreams, give you everything that you wanted, never put you through more than you can can handle. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we both yeah. laugh at that because I think we've been through the <laughs> Yes. And I, we, yeah, I laugh, we laugh, and, and I, I think we do that from a, yeah, for me, I mean, there's a there's a there's a poignancy there. There's a sadness. There's a tenderness to that laugh because it's it's not crass and cheap laughter. It's it's kind of oh, yes, you know. So, what am I trying to say? It's not dismissive. Because I think people's experiences are, and mine included, are deep and powerful things. But I think the conditional statements are often quite cheap and superficial. And so to an extent, my laughter is aimed at that rather than, I just wanted to be very clear, I guess, in terms of anyone listening going like, oh, nice, it's, it's not laugh at people's pain. No, yeah, I'm no, not. No. I guess. Thanks, yeah. Thank you for clarifying. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm laughing at the conditional reciprocity, which can box God so easily conceptually and just go for whatever value that is. You're only allowed to be this way or that way, or the next way. There's a there's a rule book which I think is often of our own devising in this theology, 
that is very much wielded like a club, either in some ways, and then that bears some more thinking on and digging into sort of sadomasochistically, sadomasochistically over ourselves, but also very much over others. And, and that club is used very much to try and keep others in line and to so, sort of keep some sort of, and I think God as well, to keep some safety around kind of who I am and how I can belong and how I can be safe and be okay with this God figure. So if I make this God figure horrendously wrathful and angry and irritated towards everything on the planet, but I'm okay with it because I have a magic spell or whatever that works for me. Yeah, it's a very powerful club to to wield against others to protect yourself, essentially. And those conditional things, there's very little... Well, let me dial back to just the human to human again. Any kind of conditional reciprocity like that in a human to human relationship kills genuine relating. Kills it dead, deader than dead. It buries it, has the wake, <laughs> gets on with life, gets remarried, kills that relationship, gets on with life. You know, it's dead, dead, dead. Because you cannot put those kinds of limits on somebody else and say, well, where I'm concerned, uh, that also requires a little bit of qualification, but where I'm concerned, you can only be this way. So I just want to be careful when I say qualification. I'm not suggesting that individuals cannot put boundaries in terms of you know, what you expect from others and how people treat you, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm talking about a smothering, which is there is this way or this way that you are allowed to be with me and no other ways. There's no freedom, there's no agency, there's no disagreement, et cetera, et cetera. And I, th I think that's, yeah, that's at play here. You see that almost where people start weaponizing concepts like you must speak nicely to me so you can never raise your voice. You can never disagree. You can never have a contrary thought. Yes, yes. And that becomes that becomes quite difficult because I do feel that with a lot of our theologies, our God concept is quite tight and you don't easily get to see how it differs from one tradition to another. You know, whether one looks at a classic old school Catholic God concept or a, a, a prosperity environment, you know, like you're dealing with two very different God concepts, two very different ways of approaching God, two very different understandings of, of, of where we are in relation to God and how we deal with God and how God deals with us. You know, and I take those as, as two extremes because I think they, they, they're outliers to the, our predominant audience. Our predominant audience is, um, you know, more evangelical and, and shares a God concept, but we don't get to see how some of those nuances are. And so I, I found a lot of, I experienced quite a bit of pushback from people around the language we used about God's abandoning us, because that's not a part of, that's not admitted to the conversation. You know, and and there were some really fruitful things where a number of people that had deconstructed basically responded and said, no, being met with the silence and absence they experience is actually abuse. If if they're starting from that God concept of having had a close relationship with God, which they often have because they've got that through their theology, they're relating to the public persona of God. 
public idea of God. And then they they want to experience God show up for them. And then they could experience, oh no, I'm abandoned by God. No, you, you know, so there's been a lot of resting around that idea. And I've seen a lot of pennies drop for people as they realize that God actually hasn't abandoned them in that sense. It's just the first time they're experiencing God to show up in a relational sense. And they don't know how to show up and engage God. They don't even know what hearing from God means for them because the boxes that they've been given are not the boxes that they're looking to be fulfilled for now, you know, in that situation. And so there, there I say, you're not dealing with the abandonment of God. You're dealing with the never having an aliveness of God. <laughs> that's a very different thing. And that struggle, no, but I know God. I know God by faith. I've got this clear idea of God. I know what God's character is like. I serve God faithfully. I arrive at church every week. You know, I'm in the worship team. I run a home group. <laughs> you know, like like I get a lot of kickback around that. And and as I patiently wait for people to peel those layers back, they land at yeah, but God's not speaking to me. And then it comes down to maybe I don't have a special gift, you know, or maybe it's because I have sin in my life or something like that. And then that becomes the focus. And that focus then protects that God idea, but inhibits relational engagement. Or should I say, and inhibits relational engagement. Because it doesn't allow the possibility that you don't know God and you don't hear from God. Because the God concept is one where God is always speaking to you. God is always faithful. God never leaves you to stand on your own two feet. You know, God will always respond positively in your favor. You know, God's always there for you. It's an always on tap God. That makes me think of, of two things as I listen to you there that I sort of see in, in tandem. So the first is, it's initially a passage that I remember out of Jeremiah, I think, in the Old Testament, but is also just kind of a very general idea. It's this idea of idolatry, the idea that you can craft craft a God of your own making. And I think, I think if I remember correctly, it's somewhere in, in Jeremiah, I'd have to go and look it up, where there's almost this mocking tone of, you know, you build these things, but it's wood and brass and gold. And then when you talk to it, it can't talk back to you. <laughs> and it works, it works exactly the same. I think it's, for me, that's always stuck out as a very visual picture, essentially, but of this concept of, I mean, if you, if you craft your own God, what have you crafted out of? If there's no life there, then it, then it quite literally cannot speak back to you other than perhaps you know, it's a pup, exactly, it's a puppet that you've made that can only give you back what you've given it. So that's the one thing that comes to mind. And then, mm, go for it. I think the the idea of crafting that God is we can craft the, uh, we can craft an idol out of theological statements as well and have an invisible idol. And that's, I think that's quite profound. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's just the Play-Doh that we're working with or the, the shaping clay. And that's the, the building blocks to a certain extent are immaterial, but those are parts of the building blocks. And so we build a theology idol. But to an extent, I hear that same mocking tone, right? Like, but okay, well, what has this thing got to say to you other than what you've, what you've put into it to feed back to you? The other thing that sort of came up juxtaposed next to that was just a couple of flash pictures of, of some couples that I've worked with 
in some extreme crisis moments. And it's been kind of very extreme crisis moments where the one person in the couple has left the other. There's been a tearing of the relationship. And I've either sat with both to try and help them walk through that tearing, or I have more often than not, when it's been only the one side, I've sat with the one who has been left. And I've tried to help them make sense of what has happened. And in a few cases, and a, a number of cases, so kind of, I don't want to say unusually large amount, but if, if I had to put numbers to it, let's say 10 cases, I would say out of seven, out of those 10, when I've either sat with the couple or the person who has been, you know, what would they be, the levy, <laughs> not the lever, the message has been, let me just get this very clearly from the picture in my head, the, the one who left, the message is, I took a very extreme action because I wasn't present in our relationship anymore. And the person who was left was interacting with a concept of the other. They were interacting in the relationship with who they either wanted the other person to be or who they believed them to be. And the way for the person who left, often what I've heard, the story is, I felt my only option was to get out. And that was my way of showing you there is something alive behind this figure that you've created. And, you know, you understand me as the figure, but that's not who I am. And so I ran away from that figure to show you, oh, look, there's still life, there's agency, there's will here, there's a different person here. And I wanted to show you, I am not who you think I am. And, and I've kind of walked through this journey with the person who's been left. It's, it's earth shattering especially if the relationship has been a significant amount of time. And I mean, you know, that I'll just leave that without any numbers to it because that, you know, that to an extent is somewhat subjective, but a significant amount of time with somebody and you either genuinely believe them to be this figure or you've done everything you can to make them that figure. And they finally said, no, your way of understanding this, which is a significant sort of grounding foundational part of your life is no longer applicable, true, available, you know, that is earth shattering. It's really quite something to be left. And you either have to go, have I got it wrong? Or am I willing to face the fact that I have intentionally got this wrong and I'm going to have to change, you know, a couple of other thoughts. And so I think about that in terms of, to some extent within that relationship, there's an idol there. And whether the person is idolized or smothered, the figure that's created that the one person interacts with gets in the way of a genuine relationship. And sometimes I've worked with couples where they've reunited after that. Sometimes it hasn't worked out. There's been too much damage. But the message is, this is not me, and I cannot be controlled by the figure. And I'm taking this extreme decision to show you that. And I'm careful. I'm, I want to be careful here that I'm not suggesting, I'm not just going to immediately simply take that and go, well, there we go, that's God. 
But I wonder sometimes if God takes a step back to show someone. Like if I stand too close to this idol, you could continue perhaps to think, you know, that we're one and the same thing. And and some of what I've seen of this in reverse has been has been very helpful for me as I've been encouraged to kind of dig into my own relating to God is being led through some Jesuit writings to contemplate the idea that who I really am, when they talk about the, the kind of the real self, the true self created in God, and who I present myself to be often, the false self, and when I present myself specifically to God like that, are two different people, and that God stands and waits for me and sometimes encourages me and sometimes really pushes me to let down the figure that I hold up between myself and God, that I hide behind, and God encourages me to put distance between myself and to an extent the idol of myself who I've created to hold between me, and to an extent the message that God puts out there is I didn't make this, so I don't recognize it. So if you can step away from that, then we can genuinely relate. And I think going with where I started this evening, I feel as though I'm willing to take that on intentionally because I've dug into that experientially and discovered it to be true. I have felt as though I've lived through moments where God has waited for me to drop my own idol and go, ah, okay, I knew you were there somewhere, you know, Adam, come out, where are you, is is the, you know, I don't want to get bogged down in theology statements, seeing as we're trying to dis- distinguish these things, but, so, I think that's where theology, the concepts, etc., do us a big disservice. We can hold on to them so rigidly that it now creates a barrier through which we cannot relate to God. And I think I'm given that message often from people. Well, actually, we don't need to relate because we have this thing. And I feel like I'm the crazy person standing in the town square, yelling and screaming that the town is on fire and everyone's going, oh, you're talking about it's fine. I'm going, okay, well, surely I'm not the only crazy one that goes, like these idols don't talk back. Other than, as I, you know, I kind of mentioned to start with, other than perhaps just, what's the word I was used, I'm looking for, by accident, <laughs> you know? Like, well, what are those, what are those uh, clock, you know, broken clock is still correct twice a day. <laughs> yes, yeah. tells, the, yeah, tells the time accurately twice a day, yeah, exactly. Our idea of God sells us short of a reciprocal, intimate relationship with God. By holding God's otherness as something that is unattainable. God is holy, God is other, we're sinners, we're mortal. You know, and so so in many ways, even even the the concept of of going, well, we're never going to be able to exhaust or fully grasp the idea of God. Sure. But that doesn't mean that we can't authentically and fully and completely relate to someone, engage God relationally. 
And it's, it's again, it becomes hard to distinguish between that because when we've got a faith is relationship paradigm, faith is sufficient, the church is necessary, and provided you're doing that and your character is transforming and growing, you therefore must know God. But that's that's different. That's important. I don't think that those things are unimportant. I think that they do need to step aside or take a take a seat and bow down to the idea of of immediate relationship. And that's that's challenging. Hundred percent. In I was thinking as well in the same way that it's not unhelpful for someone to tell me things about somebody else. Before I meet you, someone tells me, have you met Tim? You really should meet Tim. These are some things I've experienced about Tim. I think you'd really enjoy coffee with Tim. You should go and do that. Those are not unhelpful things. But using your language, what I really like, that needs to bow down to the actual transaction, which is my willingness and desire to then go and have coffee with you, go and actually talk with you, because otherwise that replaces it. And it can't. I can't live secondhand off what somebody tells me about Tim. Tell me about Tim. I have this amazing friendship with him. Oh, really? How? Oh, through Richard. <laughs> Richard tells me everything, or John or whatever, tells me everything I need to know about Tim. Oh, so you have a deep friendship with him. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, as long as John keeps telling me new stuff about his life, you know. And and so again, it, it has its proper place. And, and that's where I think, you know, to a certain extent, theology and perhaps even good theology, and, you know, that requires lots of conversation, is not unhelpful, but I'm certain it's a it's a it's probably a Taoist or Taoist or Buddhist saying, but I only remember it from a Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> and at some point, he's sparring with one of his uh, with his trainees, and he stops and he says, "It's like a finger pointing towards the moon." And the trainee stares at his finger and he punches him with that hand, and he kind of gets a fright and he says, "No, don't stare at the finger." Otherwise, you miss out on all that heavenly glory. I've never forgotten that. It's from, well, I've just always loved Bruce Lee. It's amazing, isn't it? And, and it, that comes to mind now in terms of, I mean, you can tell me, and this was one of the, the directions I wanted to go in tonight. You can tell me deep, rich, nuanced things about your relationship with God. And they can deeply resonate with me. And I can go, that sounds very familiar to me for some of the experiences I have had in the past. Some of the attributes I know about God, and I'm going to just distinguish, I know because I know conceptually and have been told, and also perhaps sometimes have myself experienced, tasted. But even there, with somebody who I count as one of my closest and deepest friends, who I very much look up to, who I deeply respect and love very deeply, even at that level, and that you know that's a way for me also in a way to try and 
nuance the statement good theology, even there, I cannot rely on your relationship with God to either supplement or provide, you know, life support, <laughs> breathing machine to my relationship with God. And neither can I attach myself as a parasite to your relationship with God. Even when there's a deep level of resonance, and so bringing it back to the human to human, even if you and I know another human being very well and very deeply, that relationship goes out of balance if I stop pursuing that third person and you stop pursuing that third person and having one-to-one -one relationship with them. If at any point I substitute that relationship and move lanes across into, well, you know, Tim will actually keep me connected to that person. I have to acknowledge I've lost the one-to-one -one relating capacity. That has to be acknowledged. And so even there, I think that theology experience, relational experience, tension, is for me very clear. And, and bad theology is almost easy to take aim at because I can look at a group of people and think, perhaps even in my arrogance, oh my word, you guys have completely lost the plot. Like you all get together in your little building on a Sunday and oh, shame. I mean, who's, who's an easy pot shot to take? If I could, for some reason, people kissing rattlesnakes comes to mind. <laughs> And if you haven't seen those they, videos, they, they, they're easy to take pot shots I'm, at. Because I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, you guys are just so like, you, you make it too easy sometimes. So I can sit here and go, look at these crazy lunatics kissing rattlesnakes and dancing around to some really poor quality Christian worship music, if we're honest as well. You know, you just think, okay, well, that's really bad theology. I can't resonate with that. So there I'm safe from the theology relationship trap. And I can be conning myself because I can cozy up against somebody, perhaps even, for example, like you. And there are times that sometimes I have to pinch myself and remind myself, even if I'm very, very vulnerably honest, I have to go. This relationship between you and God happens between you and God primarily. You can't piggyback on, even if Tim says something brilliant, even if he has something deeply insightful as an experience or something unlocks within him or is deeply emotionally productive or uh, there's a stirring or a turmoil, whatever it is, that takes its, its own place compared to God and I are still in this also one-on-one. -on -one. And there's, there's a fascinating interplay there, I think, which we could probably pull out even more but does that i mean like yeah i just want to kind of throw that back at you for a minute what do you think how does that sit with you you're totally onto something there because i think we are so used to having a schooling into the faith we are so reliant on people being raised up from childhood to have an idea of god and the stories are secondhand stories because the God that we relate to, we relate to through the Bible, we relate to through church. When we start hearing these exciting stories, often we're hearing other people tell their exciting stories. And so, so often our relationship actually ends up being almost like a, 
like a nuanced or, or a multi-layered public relationship where we're relating still to the idea and where other people are having direct experiences that supports our idea, but we don't get to push through to that relationship for ourselves. The, the, am I hearing you correctly in terms of mm, mm, in terms mm, of that? Yeah, because I think I, like I think that's, that's that, yeah. I think that's quite profound because on one hand, there is a way in which people with similar journeys can have similar interactions with God and they can build into each other as you hear them. And there's ways in which it can supplant that. And I think that's like, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're teasing that out a bit. So for instance, I can throw out uh, uh, something. So 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 what, one of the conversations that we had this year, uh, I can always edit this out if this is too exposing, right? But, no, no, go for it. <laughs> was, Expose away. <laughs> was, you know, I, I, I'd shared, um, when I shared my experience with God, my, my early experience of God, that part of that story was the, please, sir, can I have some more scene from Oliver Twist? And in my journey, I, I've never transitioned from that position. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't want to use the language never because I haven't, I haven't. And that's, that's you know, that's unpacking for another time. But But predominantly, I still relate to God as though there's no legitimacy to my asking. I, I ask, but from the position of not being entitled, of not actually being a member of the family, of not of being the outsider in the crowd, rather than asking for the position of actually, I I know you, I trust you, I know you can provide, so I'm asking, and 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 I didn't realize the full depth to which that was part of my psychology and relating to God, till you spoke a little bit about how something that was shifting for you <clears throat> was was the um, was the right to ask that you weren't asking as the outsider for you, there was the experience of God encouraging you to shift to say, Steve, you ask as the insider, you ask as the person who has the right to the table. Why? Because you are born to it. You are raised in it. So when you ask for the more, you're entitled and the more is there for you to receive as opposed to you brought in from the outside, hungry, starving, you don't have, you have a little, and then you ask for more, but are you entitled to ask for that more? Is there the more to go around? You know, et cetera, et cetera. That's two very different scenarios. And and that conversation with you just I, I felt a resonance because although you'd had an experience of God speaking to you, and that was profound to you, in you recounting the story to me, God's voice echoed in that, and it became God speaking to me as well. And that was tremendously powerful. So there's ways in which the recounting of personal experiences uh, it can resonate with each other. And I think that that's quite powerful. So a couple of spin-offs that come to me immediately as you talk about that. So if I, if I think about just very simply the framework of kind of parent and children and think about you and I as brothers in a family and that God is parent, right? A sibling can say something to another sibling about a parent and there can be a sure there's, there's a real resonance oh you know the parent said this to you and you're passing this on to me and you know there's a real resonance there or you've had a similar experience of the parent that's 
you know, that's that's very deep. It doesn't remove the potential and the very, I think, exciting potential, because I think also sometimes it can sound a bit like a job, and that's never the impression I want to give, which is not to say relationships aren't hard work, but <laughs> for a second guessing myself, but the potential there for each each person, in this case, as we're talking about you and I, to continue to relate to the parent one-on-one. It's not that the parent would only speak to you through me or to me through you, for example. But it's not to say that there aren't just, there's a tapestry of these interrelatings, which is very beautiful, but it's important to know which is which. And that's that's kind of a thought that that comes through as you say that. But then also then, you know, I think about this psychological concept of triangulation, where you look at relationships. And, and people who never deal with issues with the original person where the issue arose engage in this idea of triangulation. So let's you, me, and parent again. I have a problem with the parent, so I come to you. Now, the energy that I have in the relationship that needs to dissipate essentially needs to dissipate between myself and the parent where the issue arose. But if I come to talk to you about it, that requires a certain amount of energy. And there's a certain amount of outlet of that energy when I discuss it for the first time. And I feel better about it because I've got it off my chest. There's all this kind of language around that. But actually, if I'm going to resolve that, because it's not your problem, you didn't do the thing to me or not do the thing or whatever it might be. To resolve that means to go back to the parent. And now that's somewhat of a negative kind of framing of it, but I think it works positively in the same way in that the genuine energy in connection with somebody else happens in the one-to-one, in the direct, in the... Let me, let me put it this way. It's, it's, it's one thing for a parent to say to a child, go and tell your brother that I love him. <laughs> It's another thing for the parent to seek that child out themselves. And now the the second child in this instance might feel great. Wow, mom or dad told you that they love me? There's a power to that, no mistake. But it is significantly different when it happens person to person in the original intention of the energy and the connection that that's supposed to make. And so... I love what you're talking about there in terms of the different relatings and the resonance and how powerful it can be and even how important it can be. And that it's equally good to be clear about what it is and what it isn't. The real power of that was not tied to its concepts alone. It was tied to a changed behavioral experience. Tied to a change in the interaction with God, but with the permission to have expectation. You know, with the permission to to feel legitimate with, with what was being asked, as opposed to, you know, often what happens is is we use the language of drought when it comes to spirituality. You know, everyone goes through spiritual droughts, right? <laughs> but there are definitely there's more droughts than monsoons. 
and we don't have enough monsoons. <laughs> and I think that the only way that we get there is through the application of these things. So, so for instance, that 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 story about the the asking God and the legitimacy of it translates it to me being able to engage God one on one with that in mind of going because you did that and you spoke that to Steve first. And I see the impact in him and I resonate. I I reckon I need that too. And that's where that's where the the ideas and the sharing is powerful because it enables possibility. And the possibility that we're looking at is is what's the possibility of a faith as relationship paradigm? And what's the possibility of a relation and God engagement with God paradigm? Because there are actually worlds apart at a very subtle level. Yes, yes. Because if we get very, very practical for a second in terms of, of just following up from what you're saying there. So if you had gone directly to God with what I had told you as a manipulation tactic, Steve says, you said this to him, so I'm coming to demand the same, right? And I'm using my language very, very clearly. I'm going to go through a few permutations of this. In a genuine relationship, you could expect a genuine reply, right? And the genuine reply might be, who the hell do you think you are? Absolutely not. <laughs> it might be, and on the other side of this, I'm just so grateful that you came. Absolutely, of course, you can demand exactly the same, right? Like in anything in between. But the response is not, again, we're back to the conditional. It's not conditioned off. I'm told you were this way in this instance. Therefore, you must be the same with me. That's the way it works. Next permutation along, you can go with Without the demand, you can go with the high relational expectation. You treated this person in this way. They passed that on to me. I'm coming to you to say I expect the same from you. You know what I mean? In the, in the idea of relational expectation. Or a couple of sort of slices further along. <laughs> this is the idea of, okay, well, now I just feel a lot better. Because that happened with, you know, in this instance with Steve, I don't need to go to God. Do you know what I mean? And and there's there's a number of practical ways for that to play out as I think back into the framework of kind of the theology versus the relationship. Now, people in general could go, I can build an idol out of that and now demand that God is the way I now understand God to be. Or I can really engage in the middle relationally and go. I actually want you to be like this. I need this from you. I expect this. You know what I mean? And there's a, a, a very accurate and imminent and genuine relational interaction. Or on the other side, there's no relational interaction that comes from that because oh, you said it to Steve, so then it applies to me. We're all the same. Boom. Problem solved. Move on. Is, is that also fair, I think, from a super practical perspective? Totally, totally, totally fair, totally fair. And I think in different Christian traditions, we see that playing out very differently, you know, especially amongst the name it and claim it's and the prosperity people. It's uh, it's very much, okay, cool, you know, God said it once to someone. We don't bottle it, we all just take it on. <laughs> 
you know, and, and I think that's that's functionally the difference is is to be raised in the faith with a strong idea of God is one thing. To transition, to let that faith go in light of engaging God is quite challenging to do. And not easy because it depends on God's willingness and interest in being present. And it depends on a lot of stuff related to individuals. Um, It's very anti-cookie cutter. <laughs> like, because I like how you said about the bottled thing. Like, you, know, you can't just bottle up and sell it. If I think about why big corporations make good money, part of the reason is they're consistent. You don't make good money as a huge corporation if every time you iterate, the product is different. <laughs> you know, part of what you're selling is that, you know, like the Big Mac always looks and tastes like a Big Mac. But I think, yeah, but but God is like a microbrewer. God is like a artisanal chef, right? Like if you go on a Tuesday or a Thursday, you might get a slightly different changing burger as like honestly. Well, well <laughs> that's, that's, just, that, you know? that's true relationally. But again, theologically, we've got the idea of God being unmoving, not having needs, yeah. the yes, same yesterday, yes. today, forever. And that's that's where I think I think this is, this is challenging territory to play into because it quickly starts sounding like, well, who's the heretic? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are you yeah. going to trust script, scripture? Are you going to trust Stevenson? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at the same time, relationally, like for a relationship to survive, there has to be some sort of stability. A relationship can't be bipolar. It can't be up and down and all over the show. There has to be some sort of reasonable expectancy reasonable communication etc and even that i would i don't think i'm suggesting from kind of you know the idle perspective of well then god has to be a certain way so much as the actual kind of the manner of reciprocity has to exist in a certain way well well, well i guess in a way at the point that we start looking for reciprocity that's the point where faith on one hand has fulfilled itself and we actually start departing from faith because we've got to sacrifice our faith to have a relationship. We've got to give up that idea of God that we've built up because the idea of God is always going to be silent and it was always going to be impotent. And, and yet that idea is what takes us to God to then go, well, I want to engage you as well. What does that then mean? What do we do with that idea of God? We have to surrender it in light of the knowing, in light of the reciprocal relationship. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love how you sum that up there. We have to give up the concept we have to surrender that for the chance i'm kind of trying to give this back to you in terms of what i hear you say if i try and draw like 
just one simple thread out of the middle of what you're saying, what I hear you saying is we have to give up the concept of God if we want the relationship with God to have a chance. Because, because we're going to have a number of things that inhibits the potential relationship with God within that. You can't disappoint me. You'll always be there. You're always consistent. You're always on tap, et cetera, et cetera. As opposed to, you know, in the concept of looking, context of looking for reciprocity, most people I speak to start with going, why is God silent and absent to him? <laughs> you know, you, you're speaking about such rich relational engaging and, and that's what I want. And then I arrive and I'm met with crickets. <laughs> And that's that's challenging. It's it's a it's a tough place to be at. Yeah, and and is also without going too deep into it, is also a significant part of our journey in at least the last six months. And and I think is 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 worth noting, even if we don't unpack it to its fullest extent now. I'm of I'm very aware of, you know, I think historically in my life of kind of the victory Bible thumping <laughs> people, you know, where everything is just amazing and turns out perfectly. That's that for me, I think, is one of the least attractive idols where everything is sunny and victorious and wonderful and great. Because that is very, very far removed from my life. And I don't say that then from a victorious perspective, like, well, I'm on the victory side because I've experienced some horrible shit. Because <laughs> I'm 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 learning through that that sometimes you can, you know, you, you form that as your picture of life, and that's also not healthy. But I would want to be careful in saying that in amongst, you know, what what people hear us talking about, the relationship, the necessity of relationship, I think, the opportunities of relationship, the authenticity of relationship. Part of that is periods and sometimes protracted periods of confusion and disappointment and displacement and loneliness and questions and doubt. And I would never want to shy away from that. And I'm, and I'm certain, I'm certain I speak for you as well in this. And, um, you know that that we feel quite similarly about that. That that is is very much part of the journey. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure I want to take that too much further necessarily this evening, but just that that's important to put it out there, you know, and just park and say these are not easy things to say. Oh, just relate to God genuinely. To a certain extent, I think one of the one of the common threads that I see amongst deconstructors everywhere, and I think you even see it kind of biblically as well, is fuck, this is hard. Wouldn't it be easier if I just went back? Yes. <laughs> if I can sum it up that way, you know, like in the old testament, the people say to Moses, This is too hard. We want to go back to slavery. I think sometimes this is too hard. It was, it was so much easier when I knew everything about God and I had all the answers and I just read my Bible and life was fine. That was much easier. 
right? <laughs> we should go back to that, Steve. We should. <laughs> and, yeah, if, there we go. I, That's I what we're going to do in season six that. of the podcast. Season we're going to go back. <laughs> back to slavery is what it'll be called. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to find a, a much more politically correct note for that. Though. Okay. <laughs> we'll put a smiling emoji. That will make but i wouldn't want to shy away from that because that is and across the board for me in my experience so far that is all relationships they cover a spectrum from intense joy to deep disappointment and sadness and regret and loss and wonder and confusion and possibility and returning enjoyment and deep satisfaction and sometimes boredom <laughs> but yeah that that is relationship it's it's all those aspects all those facets um but i you know, i really i like i like what you have to say that for the relationship to have any chance the concept it's almost like a hostage that is held has to be released and that's scary, and it's sometimes dangerous, I think. It's disarming. Yeah, and, and it can, I think it can leave you feeling just <clears throat> tremendously naked, actually. Well, I think, I think that's the ultimate goal of the inward journey, is to arrive at that place where you are, lit- where you are uh, metaphorically naked inside, before God. And where you no longer, you're no longer putting an idea of yourself between you and God, and an idea of God between you and God. Yeah. You know whether that idea is supposed to be a tap that's supposed to draw more out of God, or or the idea is a barrier, is is immaterial because because you know, the point isn't that God can override and break through. I think on one hand, yes, because we're not we're not denying that. I think it's a question of like, what are we looking for? Are we actually looking for that reciprocity in terms of engaging God? And is that actually missing from our spirituality with with what we do? You know, and and I think that's that's a challenging thing for us to draw out. And I I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what the um what the feedback is from from listeners around this. Um and unfortunately, it it's hit twelve for me, and I am on very <laughs> <good>. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, are you okay if we if we park this here and we pick this up again um, next chance we get? Absolutely, I I I think just by way of rounding off my sense of where you summarized that was just a beautiful place to land as both a pause and a springboard into our next conversation around what it may mean for relationship to flourish, given everything we've talked about. So, yeah, I just thank you once again. It's uh, I've missed this deeply, and I'm so grateful that we can spend this time together again, um, talking and wondering and asking questions. Oh, me too. I've missed it tremendously. (laughs) (laughs) It feeds my soul, literally. Yes. (laughs) Likewise. Likewise. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for putting this on the table. It's not a 
It's not an easy concept to voice, and I think you've done an exceptionally fine job of doing that, and I, I appreciate that.